stuck and lifeless was pretty much how I felt a year ago, almost to the day. I was out of shape, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. I had neglected the more important things in life and and started to feel paralyzed in my own situation. Now, sure, I'm a pastor and I was doing the work I was called to, uh, but I still felt stuck. I still felt a little lifeless. It's true, I, I, like you, can take a shower and get dressed and walk through life without allowing anyone to see some of the deeper issues going on. And this happens, doesn't it, to all of us? Life has this way of sucking the joy and purpose out of about just anything. It doesn't mean we can't continue with life. What other option do we really have? In fact, most of us carry with us the appearance that everything is okay, but deep down, I know that many of you in this room feel stuck and lifeless. And if you're like me, you've probably tried it all, right? You've looked to other people to help you get unstuck. You have looked to entertainment to bring you new life. You've read all the Christian self-help books for answers. You've got the gym membership that you never use, and you started the meal plan that you never looked to. You bought the thing you thought you needed. You took the, the vacation you deserved. You made a budget for one month. You bought the six-pack or bottle of wine because at least for a moment, it made you feel better. We've all tried it, haven't we? Grasping for something to, to pull us out of this feeling of being stuck and lifeless. Lifeless, And it pains me to tell you this sort of thing as your, path, as your pastor. But I believe, you know, but believe it or not, I struggle with all of the same things you do on a regular basis. Matter of fact, because of the nature of my vocation, I think it's very easy for pastors to end up feeling stuck and lifeless. Now, last week, I was fortunate enough to go to Colorado Springs to this beautiful retreat center called Glen Area, right in the middle of of the Garden of the Gods, which I didn't even know what that was. I'd heard that term before. It is beautiful, breathtaking, out of this world, supernatural almost. And I gathered together with 50 other pastors and leaders who quite honestly either have been or will be dealing with similar situations that I was dealing with. Many of those that were there had bailed on their call to ministry because they felt so stuck and lifeless in it. And others on the verge of hanging up their hats in ministry were looking for something to simply restore and revive their ministry. They were grasping for something. I was invited there to to share my story and to tell those who are present that while feeling stuck and lifeless is a very real experience, there is a remedy. Almost exactly one year ago, I was right there with them. And then I discovered this one thing that brought restoration and revival to my life. And so today, I want to share with you that thing that is keeping us feeling stuck and lifeless. I want to share with you the remedy for it, and I want to share with you how it has changed my life, and I believe can change yours as well. So grab your phone if you haven't done so already. 
version is back. You can go to more and then events, and you can follow along with everything I'm going to cover today. By the way, you may not know this, but if you go there, you can also take notes in the app uh, if you want to write some things down, and then you can save it for later if you want to come back and check it out later. If you have your Bible with you, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. Now, leading up to Acts chapter 9, we are made aware of a guy named Saul who is doing everything in his power to extinguish this new movement of Jesus followers. So zealous is he that he sets out toward Damascus, a a town just outside of Jerusalem, to imprison any and all Jesus followers living there. And along the way, Saul's worldview is shaken to the core when he collides with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus appears to Saul, and as a result, it changes everything. Now, last week we saw that what happened after Saul becomes a follower of Jesus, needless to say, it wasn't a great start for Saul. Now, now it's zealous to let people know about Jesus and not imprisoning the first church people. It, it, you know, Saul begins to tell people about Jesus, someone who he was wholeheartedly against just days earlier. And the only problem is he hasn't really gained any clout among the believers in the area to do so. Remember, Saul has been spending his time, all of his time, imprisoning and even putting to death those who claim Jesus as their Messiah. And now he's showing up among the believers saying, I believe Jesus is the Messiah too. Can you see their trepidation here? Is this some sort of ruse? Like, what is going on here? Who's this guy? Like, weren't you coming here to kill us? And now you're one of us? They're they're so, like, upset and war-torn about this that he has to, like, escape Damascus just for his life because the believer is like, we don't believe you. I mean, the reality is, you know, when we become followers of Jesus, it is an amazing experience but we have to remember it doesn't change everything that's gone on in the past. We, we need some time to make up for that, to, to find forgiveness and, and to show repentance in that. And, and Saul is finding this out very, very quickly. And so disturbed by Saul's comment, commitment to follow Jesus, the believers in Damascus and in Jerusalem decide to force him out of the city. We just, we can't deal with this right now. And eventually Saul heads to Arabia where we find in the book of Galatians, he spends almost a decade before arriving again in Jerusalem to begin his ministry. Meanwhile, while Saul is in Arabia, Luke turns his attention back to Peter on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And this is where we're going to pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 32. Luke writes, Meanwhile, Peter traveled from place to place, And he came down to visit the believers in the town of Lydda. There he met a man named Aeneas, who had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your sleeping mat. And he was healed instantly. Then the whole population of Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas walking around, and they turned to the Lord. Peter is the clear leader among the Christians in first century Jerusalem especially in the city itself, but the surrounding areas of Jerusalem into Judea as well. And while the church began in Jerusalem, it's beginning to spread to the outskirts of Judea day by day by day, including to the town of Lydda. Now, Lydda is about 30 miles west of Jerusalem, about halfway between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea. 
And it's there that Peter meets Aeneas, a man paralyzed, it says, for almost a decade. And their interaction leads to Aeneas' full healing in the name of Jesus, something Peter knew could happen because of what Jesus said in John chapter 14. Peter is experiencing what Jesus says to him and his other brothers and the disciples uh, in John chapter 14. And these are the words of uh, Jesus in John chapter 14. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I'll do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, following Jesus, says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up, roll up your mat, and roll up your sleeping mat. And as a result, many of the people in Lydda and the surrounding areas begin to place their faith in Jesus. This is a common theme that occurs in the book of Acts from the beginning all the way to the end. But Peter isn't finished. He continues his travels all the way to Joppa. Joppa is an important city because of its proximity to the Mediterranean. It's right on the shores of the Mediterranean. And today, it sits just south of Tel Aviv. And while in Joppa, Peter applies the words of John 14 again. Verse 36, there was a believer in Joppa named Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was always being kind, doing kind things for others and helping the poor. About this time, she became ill and died. Her body was washed for burial and laid in an upstairs room. But the believers had heard that that Peter was near Lydda. So they sent two men to beg him, please come as soon as possible. Now Joppa is about 12 miles northeast of Lydda, a walking distance of about six and a half hours. So by the time that Peter gets to Dorcas, she's been dead a while. Her body's been washed, she's been put, she's been embalmed, right? She's been presented so that the family can say their goodbyes. In fact, even before the two men go to Peter, the, 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 the text says us that she's been there a little while, dead. It's not like she's fallen asleep or something. This is a person who has died, who's been embalmed, and who is prepared now for burial. And they're asking Peter, come and do something, please. Medorcus has a quite the reputation among that community. She's known for doing amazing, compassionate, empathetic things for the people in that area. They don't want her to be gone from their presence. And so Peter responds to the request and he goes with them. Verse 39. So Peter returned with them. And as soon as he arrived, they took him to the upstairs room. The room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes Dorcas had made for them. But Peter asked them all to leave the room. Then he knelt and prayed. Turning to the body, he said, get up, Tabitha. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her up. Then he called in the widows and all the believers, and he presented her to them alive. The news spread through the whole town, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed a long time in Joppa, living with Simon, a tanner of hides. In both cases, in the case of Aeneas and in the case of Dorcas, Peter simply follows in the footsteps of Jesus. 
Peter has spent three years watching Jesus teach and perform miracles. He watched what can happen when the name of Jesus is declared over a person's life. He knows what happens when the love of Jesus is given freely. In fact, if you were to go and read Mark chapter 5, you'll see Jesus heal a little little girl named Talitha. And it's almost a parallel experience as the one that Peter is doing right now. Almost word for word, he says the same things, does the same thing that Jesus did to heal Dorcas. He is experiencing the fact that the love of Jesus is not just some concept. It's not just some theoretical thing that we talk about and sing about. The love of Jesus is real and tangible and visceral. It has power. It has power to change the circumstances right before your eyes. Restoration and revival happen when the love of Jesus is present. See, both Aeneas and Dorcas are in need of something outside of themselves to bring healing. In Aeneas' case, he's stuck, literally and figuratively. Being a paralyzed man didn't only mean he couldn't move about freely, but it also meant whatever life he had before this paralyzation had been extinguished as well. Crippled men and women in the first century were typically looked down upon Right? It was believed by most that it was their sin that caused this situation in them. And so we want to keep our distance from them. They're unclean. That was the typical thought process of a Jew walking by a crippled man. You obviously did something to deserve this. And I don't want to be in association with you. Why don't you go to the outskirts of the town so the rest of us can at least live peacefully and without sin like you? He would have been considered unclean and separated from the main community of the city. He's not allowed to go into the temple and worship God. I mean, he is, he is literally stuck, figuratively stuck in this life that he has. He can't move and he can't find anyone else to help him beyond it. Now, meanwhile, Dorcas has died this sudden death. Based on the reaction of the people around her, her death was a bit of a surprise. They all seem surprised by this. Why why did this happen to her? And because of her reputation as someone who's brought so much meaning and purpose to the community of believers in Lydda, Peter is summoned to help her. Like She's obviously a stalwart, a giant in this community. And they're saying, look, we want to try whatever we can to bring her back to life. We need her as this person, as a part of our community. So they go dozens of miles to find Peter and bring him back to revive her life. I mean, Dorcas is lifeless, literally, despite the fact that she has so much more to give. She's dead. And so I'll ask you, again, are you feeling stuck or lifeless today? Do you feel stuck in a pattern of sin? Do you feel stuck in a dead-end job? Do you feel stuck with your finances? Do you feel like there's very little hope for your future? Do you feel stuck with the diagnosis you just got? Do you need restoration today? Something outside of yourself to bring healing 
to put you back together? Or maybe, maybe you're feeling lifeless today. Do you, do you feel just depressed and sad about your circumstances? Is sin and rebellion causing you to feel like you'll never be free? Are you just going through the motions of life? but not truly living as God intended? Are you just grasping for something to give you purpose and meaning in your life? Relationships and entertainment, alcohol and drugs, addiction. What what is it that you're grasping for that you hope will bring you life, but it doesn't seem to be working? And do you need revival today? Because if so, I believe you come to the right place, first of all. Because there is... And I've learned this personally. There is only one thing that can truly restore and revive a person's life. The undeserved, unmerited love of Jesus Christ. The love of Jesus, listen to this, restores and revives people. And if you don't believe me, I'm standing here a living witness of that. I'm going to be honest with you. If it's not for the love of Jesus that I experienced in my life in a profound way a year ago, I don't know if I'm standing here right now. And man, look, I could cover it up. I'm good. I have a theater major. Like, I'm trained in acting. That's like what I do. I'm not proud of it. I'm not. But I'm just telling you, that's where I was. And it wasn't until I experienced, maybe for the first time, the depth of Jesus' love for me. And it's the only thing. Listen, I grasped for everything. You can ask my wife. I was grasping for entertainment. I was trying to find it in golf and hockey. I was trying to find it in in food and, and just whatever laziness, entertainment. I was trying to find something that would just restore and revive my life and my heart. And the only place I found it was in the love of Jesus. Listen, Luke includes the story of Peter and Lydda and Joppa because he wants his readers, that's us, by the way, to see just how powerful the love of Jesus really is. These are miracles, right? And that makes us go, wow. But what he's showing us is, do you realize how powerful the love of Jesus really is? How powerful it is to restore and revive people who are once stuck and once dead. Can you see how powerful it is? All that Peter says to Aeneas is the name of Jesus, and the text says he's healed. And all that Peter does to heal Dorcas and Joppa is pray and say, get up. Get up. Aeneas is restored, Dorcas is revived, and it's all because of the love of Jesus. You see, there is power in Jesus' name because of his deep love for us. Saul would later write that he is so loving that while we were still in our sin, while we were still shunning him, while we were still rebelling against him, 
He came and he died for us so that we would be restored, so that we would be revived, so that when those moments come, when we're grasping for this thing or that, trying to find restoration and revival, the love of Jesus would still be available to us. And all we have to do is simply receive it. That's it. And you know, the love of Jesus restored and revived Aeneas and Dorcas, but it's still reviving and restoring. What, one year ago, I, I sat on this Zoom call with a pastor I barely knew. I'd only heard his name before. I'd been paired up with him. And he was connected with me for the purpose of coaching for six months. Um, you know, it, it, the last couple of years have been hard for all of us. They have. And it was, it was catching up to me, and I, I wasn't really sure what to do about it. And so I reached out to our, our conference, denominational conference, and I said, I, I need some help. Is there someone I can talk to? And they pa- paired me with this guy. And I was ready to take everything in that he said. I was ready to hear about all the new ways to be a pastor in the church. I was ready to listen to all the brilliant ideas he had on how to create greater health and growth in the church. I mean, I've been in ministry for 20 years, and I was like, if I'm going to do this another 20 years, I have to do it differently somehow because there's no way I can repeat what I just did. There's no way. And so I was like, you know, I had my, my pen and paper. I was ready to take notes. And as we talked, all he would talk about is the love of Jesus. And you know, I got kind of annoyed. I was like, where's the 10 steps, man? Where's the advice? Like, I'm looking for something. Like, what do I need to do? How do we increase, you know, our giving? How do we help our people grow spiritually and healthy? Like, tell me what to do. And he just kept going back to the love of Jesus. I was like, yeah, I get it. Jesus loves me. I knew that when I was five. What do you think of online church? Should we keep doing it? And he'd say, Ryan, Jesus loves you. And I'm like, enough, I get it. And then, like Peter to Aeneas and Dorcas, it was as if he reached through my laptop screen and said, Ryan, the love of Jesus heals you. And actually what he said is he looked me in the eye and he said, I love you, Ryan. You know, nobody in my life other than my wife has ever said that to me. Nobody. Uh, Thank you. That wasn't coerced at all. It's true, nobody. And, and in that moment, and that, listen, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or anything. I don't expect you to come up and say, I love you, Ryan. I'm just saying that was the reality for me. And in that moment, it was as if I began to experience the same restoration and revival that comes through the love of Jesus that happened in Acts chapter 9. He, he was Peter to me in that moment. Ryan, Jesus Christ loves you and heals you. I didn't realize it at the time, but I needed restoration. I needed revival. I was stuck. I I was feeling lifeless. I'd been doing ministry for decades, and it had left me depleted and in need of something outside of myself to revive me. You know, moment of confession, I am a doer. I feel like if there is a challenge to be met, I'm going to meet it. 
But this was one challenge I could not meet on my own. And it was in that moment and many moments to come that proved to me again that the love of Jesus restores and revives people. Don't believe me? That's fine. But I'm telling you, from my own life, it is true. And you know, it didn't happen overnight. I was carrying a lot of shame, a lot of hurt. But over time, little by little, I began to feel restored. I began to feel alive again. I stopped grasping for all of these other things to fill me, to bring new life to me. And I began to experience the love of Jesus as it was intended to be experienced. And I'm here to tell you that that same love and that same power that restored Aeneas and revived Dorcas is still available for you. It's not just available for some. It is available for all. The love of Jesus is at hand. You know, when Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God is near, he meant my love for you, it's right here. You could literally reach out your hand and grab it. If you're going to grasp for something, grasp for the love of Jesus. It will never disappoint you. Do you know how much shame I have had to carry with the idea that somehow I've got to work this all out myself? I mean, despite the fact that I know God's love is given and not earned, I know that. Look, I've read the Bible cover to cover many times. I've done the theological classes. I've got the seminary degree. I know what it says but I'm not sure that I fully experienced it until the last 12 months of my life. And it breaks my heart a little bit. But I, here's what breaks my heart even more. Is I know that many of you in this room right now, you're right where I was. You're feeling stuck. You're feeling lifeless. You're grasping for whatever you can find to somehow just fill you, to bring new life. You're carrying all the shame. You're holding on to all of those secrets. And it wasn't until I simply received the love of Jesus to restore and revive me that I began to do things not just, not for God, but with God. With joy and not shame. I began to see how he can heal a person, even me, in the simplest and silliest of ways. I began to experience new life in my soul, in my heart, in my mind, in my body. The purpose that he had placed on my life was renewed and restored and revived. And so I can come up here now, not just with like something, you know, to talk about, but I feel like God has given me something to say. That the love of Jesus that I've experienced and that so many in this room have experienced is available for all who call on the name of Jesus. 
It is the beautiful picture of God's love for us, sending his son, Jesus, to come and to live the life we couldn't live, to die the death that we deserve, to raise again three days later so that he could say to us, I love you, be restored, be revived by my love. Do you need restoration today? Are you allowing sin and shame and your past to determine who you are? Are you just grasping for anything and everything to bring any sort of healing and meaning to your life? Do you need the loving power of Jesus to restore you back to health? Do you need to be revived today? Are you feeling lifeless and purposeless and hopeless? I know it. I've been there. I've felt it. Do you need the loving power of Jesus to revive you again? Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not, it's not something that's, you know, down the street or in another universe or unread. It's right here. My love is right here for you. And all you have to do is reach out and grab it. Receive it. Restoration and revival is within reach today for you. It is right before you because of the love of Jesus. Will you receive that today? You know, it's funny, uh, I spent these few days at the Garden of the Gods and I shared my story and I was amazed. You know, I was like, I'm just going to tell my story. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know how much it matters to anybody. And I couldn't leave the room after that session person after person came up to me, some in tears, just saying, I've been, that's what I need. I, I need that. I need that, that reminder again, that restoration, that revival in my life. And if that can happen in a room full of 50 pastors, what, what does that mean for all of us? We need this. And so I don't want to point you to some book. I don't want to point you to, I don't want to give you three things to do. All I want you to do is just simply reach out and receive the love of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you to do something this morning that you don't normally do. But I just, just comfortably in your seat, if you would just reach out your hands this morning in a posture of receiving, we're going to pray, we're going to ask Jesus to reveal his love to us again, bring restoration and revival to whatever is going on in your life. I know how hard it is. I know it is painful. I know you're carrying the shame. I know that the sin seems like it's never going to take its talents out of you. And just to once, just for a moment, to sit here and remember that his love is at hand this morning and that it is available for you. God, we thank you that in our brokenness, that in our sin and in our shame, that you came to us in love. And this morning we receive your love. We receive your restoration. We receive your revival. Do a new thing in us, Jesus. In the same way that Peter brought restoration and a revival to Aeneas and Dorcas, I pray, Jesus, that you would bring restoration and revival to every person in this room, every person watching online, that, God, your love would be so visceral, so tangible, so just 
presence, that it would begin to change and shape our hearts to be like yours. Jesus, we thank you for your love. We thank you that we are now called children of the living God, that we're no longer slaves to sin, we're no longer slaves to shame, but that we are restored and revived in you. Jesus, we love you. We need you. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, would you would you do me a favor? Would you stand? We're gonna sing together. We're gonna sing a song we've sung a number of times in this room before called "No Longer Slaves." And we're gonna declare right here in this moment that the the love of Jesus Christ is very real. That we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to shame. But that we are free, and we are called children of the living God when we place our faith in Jesus. That His love continues to restore and revive our lives. So may you sing loudly right now, Jack.